0: Welcome back US History. So today we're going to be talking about Vietnam. So if you remember we left off talking a little bit about uh Kennedy's administration and some of the different things he he did during this time the kind of the Cold War and Cuban Missile Crisis and Bay of Pigs not quite in that order. Um and we left off with Kennedy's assassination And allegedly, conspiracy theory, put on your tinfoil hat, Lee Harvey Oswald. So, um, but there's a little bit more to Kennedy's administration that I kind of put it all under this Vietnam unit because this spans more than just Kennedy. So I'm doing a kind of a separate unit for this. So we're going to be talking about Vietnam for the most part. So let's get going. So Vietnam was controlled um, by... By the French, and this was kind of known as like Indochina, and this was up until 1954. And the United States was also, you know, involved. We helped out a little bit and whatnot in this same area, but it was mostly the French. Well, in 1954, when the French occupation kind of ceased, uh, that was because of this guy named Ho Chi Minh. And he started to rally his people and basically defeated the French and gained control. Well, once the, the French lost control and kind of gave back control. And the the big last fight of the French against the Vietnamese was Dien Bien Phu. And the Battle of, sorry, my pronunciation is probably terrible there. But the Battle of Dien Bien Phu. So anyhow, the United States, we kind of like step in and we say, okay, let's let's try to keep the peace in this region you know France is kind of a big power here they've lost control so let's let's kind of divvy up some things here so um, Vietnam was going to be separated uh, kind of like North and North Korea or North and South Korea so it was going to be North Vietnam which was going to be ruled by kind of a communist style government with Ho Chi Minh as the kind of leader to this and then the south uh, Vietnam which was going to be Pro-American, but still kind of a dictator. But uh, Ngo Dien Diem. And just, just kind of a little point of reference. I'm probably going to be referring to Ngo Dien Diem as mostly just DM from here on. So if you hear me say it, I'll try to remember to say the full name. But I'll probably say DM a few times. But yeah, so North and South Vietnam are separated at the 17th parallel. Because we like separating things at the lines of latitude. So... All right, now remember, we said that this was kind of spanning several presidents. So let's go back to Eisenhower here for a minute. So Eisenhower had pledged to support South Vietnam. So by 1960, towards the end of his presidency, the U.S. had uh, sent around 675 military advisors to help assist the South. So we're training soldiers over there, training their soldiers, and just helping them out overall. And the idea was we didn't want the North to take over, just like... North Korea kind of took over South Korea. All right, so then Kennedy steps up to the plate, and Kennedy says, yep, I'm going to kind of continue the same thing. I'm going to stop the spread of communism at all costs. And by the end of 63, there was more than 16,000 military advisors in Vietnam. I'm doing air quotes, but this is a podcast, and you can't see that. Um, Yeah, so we're, we're sending troops over there. This was not... A technical war, I guess you could say, because we like to call this like, oh, this was, you know, Vietnam War. Well, war is in there, but Congress actually hasn't declared war since World War II. So, anyhow, so the South, controlled by that DM guy that we talked about, well, he was in charge, and he wasn't exactly the most popular person among his people there, but hey, he was pro-American, so we didn't mind him too much until we did mind him too much. So the reason he was unpopular among his people is he relocated peasants, or kind of the lower class, and when you start doing that, you make people mad. And remember, communism, it's all about, hey, there's some big guy picking on you. We're here to help you out. So this isn't exactly ingratiating this guy to his people. All right, on top of that, he made Buddhists obey Catholic religious laws. All right, people don't I mean, religion is a hot-button issue. I mean, even modern-day kind of thing. So people didn't like having to give up their religious views and so forth. Well, the Buddhist monks would make demonstrations within Vietnam to show their distaste for DM's control. And one of the ways they would do that is they would go to a public place and meditate and set themselves on fire and kill themselves. And this obviously was a kind of a a a big uh, protest scene by the people and the DM government responded by saying like really negative things calling the monks burning themselves referring to them as barbecues and so forth so that was very um, very bad for his government to do and bad for him to do so bottom line um, he is not a popular person the people aren't happy with his rules so United States officials told South Vietnamese military leaders, you know, generals and commanders and so forth, that the United States would not object if Diem was to be overthrown. So the military staged a coup or coup d'etat, if you remember that one from earlier in the year and freshman year. Um, And in November of 1963, the military coup took control and assassinated Diem as he tried to run away. So now we have kind of a new government, but it's a military coup, not always the best kind of government. So if you remember, we talked about Kennedy's assassination and how his vice president, Lyndon Baines Johnson, became the next president. And... This new government that was in the South was very ineffective, so the United States started to increase our role in Vietnam to kind of help out this power vacuum. And in the meantime, the North is gaining more and more control. Uh, and the communist fighters of the North, the Viet Cong, as they were known as, used guerrilla warfare. And guerrilla warfare is unconventional warfare that used small groups to conduct ambushes, raids, and you know, basically little groups attacking smaller. Uh, I'm sorry, groups attacking smaller groups, like ambushing them, jump in because. They're not exactly going to win in a big fair fight, so they use booby traps and tunnels and all kinds of stuff like that that we're going to be talking about. So, then in August of 1964, Johnson made a dramatic announcement to the United States and the world that North Vietnamese torpedo boats had attacked U.S. destroyers in international waters. And this area, this international waters is the Gulf of Tonkin. And this became known as the Gulf of Tonkin Incident. Well, okay, a little retrospect here. The information was kind of sketchy or is kind of sketchy. And in the end, it never really happened the way that they said it happened. So, I mean, as far as the American people and the rest of the world were concerned at this time, you know, we were told that they attacked us and we were going to respond in kind. Well, they never really attacked us. You know, we kind of, like, tailed them and tried to get them to attack us and, and everything, but they didn't actually really attack us. So this was kind of used by the Johnson administration to, you know, deepen American involvement in the war, and it didn't really happen. So, yeah, we didn't really find that out till many years later. So from a historical standpoint, we went to war because of Gulf of Tonkin incident, which we thought was real. In all actuality, we went to war... For the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which didn't really happen the way we said it did, at least. So anyhow, Johnson used this incident to deepen American involvement and passed the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution. And this resolution gave Johnson the authority to, and I quote, take all necessary measures to repel any armed attack against the forces of the United States and to prevent further aggression. All right, that's a pretty broad uh, little sentence there, and it was use. It was deliberately broad so we could just keep adding more troops if needed. So, um, as the years went on, more and more troops got drafted into military service. And if you remember, a draft is mandatory military service. And this was the last time the United States had a uh, uh, instituted a draft. Now, people still have to register for a draft, but this is the last time we actually used one. And For the most part, you know, the Vietnam, you know, I'm sorry, the Vietnam, the Viet Cong, uh, we were better than them. The United States had better supplies and superior weapons, but the Viet Cong had home court advantage. They knew the lay of the land. They knew the swamps, the jungles. They knew all these different places to hide. They could, and, and they had neighbors. They could hide out in Cambodia or Laos, which were next door neighbors to them. And the local population in Cambodia, Laos, and in Vietnam, North and South, they liked these people. They were their own people. We, we were seen as these American aggressors coming in from outside the country. Not everyone felt that way, but a fair amount did. So the local population would help them. And because of that, the U.S. soldiers never really knew who was on our side or against them. And there could be a lady selling soft drinks you know, by the side of the road. Seems like just normal everyday kind of thing. But this lady could be working for the Viet Cong, counting the number of U.S. soldiers that went in various directions. Um, a little kid that could be selling candy could have a live grenade strapped to, strapped to the back of them, run up and blow up a whole bunch of Americans. Now, not necessarily saying that that little kid knew what was going on or what he was doing, but that's the kind of things that would happen. This was unconventional warfare. We were not used to this. Now... As I already mentioned, the Viet Cong had lack of sophisticated equipment, so they would do those kind of like small ambush attacks and so forth, and a lot of the ways that they conducted these attacks were from underground tunnels, and these tunnels, you know, some of them, you know, fairly small, three, four foot tall or whatever, but... They were fairly elaborate as well, or they could be. They had areas for sleeping underground. They had kitchens, hospitals, storage areas. You name it. They had all kinds of complexities. There's a lot of pictures online. It kind of looks like, a, like an ant farm, if you remember seeing like those when you were a little kid or whatever, like the, the cross section of what it looks like. And so because of all these tunnels, we would sometimes send soldiers down there. And these soldiers would perform underground search and destroy missions. And these were known as tunnel rats, U.S. soldiers, mind you. And these tunnel rats, these were um, pretty B.A., meaning bad adults. And these guys you wouldn't want to mess with. And they were generally given to some of the smaller guys that were in in the army or in the company of soldiers. And they went in with very little. Uh, they went in with a flashlight and a gun and a knife, and sometimes not all of that. And mind you, they would try to booby trap the entrances to these little, little tunnels and they would disguise them. And I mean, there was just so many traps. And there's a lot of videos online. You can see some of the various traps. But uh, just a couple that I'm going to talk about was one of them was the Punjai Trap. And this is a camouflage pit of spikes, basically, and sometimes they would even put some poison on them, and one of the kinds of poisons they would do is they would dip these sticks or points, stakes, into the latrine, which is another way of saying toilet, so they would have fecal matter on them, and if you got that into your skin, it could get infected very quickly. Alright, landmines were used um, as like kind of like explosive areas, you'd step on them and then boom, so... Explosive device planted in the ground is a landmine, basically. Grenades were strung up with uh, trigger trip wires over them, so if you hit the wire, it would, you know, go boom, and that wouldn't go too well for most people. Uh, but they used all kinds of just, you know, low tech stuff—spikes and pits and everything. So now. Moving along here, with we're deepening our involvement, fighting against them. A lot of troops and so forth. They're using unconventional warfare, guerrilla warfare tactics. We have superior arms, but it's not exactly helping a ton. So one of the superior arms that we had is we had an awesome air force. So April 1966, the U.S. started using B-52s to drop thousands of bombs. And a lot of these bombs were fragmentation bombs. So when they would hit... Pieces of metal would just go everywhere and take out lots and lots of enemies and also civilians. This doesn't exactly help our cause over there, because if the civilians don't like the United States, they're going to keep giving information to the Viet Cong about our whereabouts and so forth. Now, these planes also dropped other things besides just these fragmentation bombs, Um, One of the other things that was dropped was an herbicide um, or a defoliant known as Agent Orange. And an herbicide is a plant killer, basically. And it would kill leaves and thick undergrowth. Because if you've ever been in a jungle, it's difficult to see when there is so much foliage. Get it? Defoliant? Foliage? Kind of? Okay. Anyway, it basically was designed to expose the hiding places of... You know, these tunnel entrances in the Viet Cong in general. Well, later on we found out that this Agent Orange uh, gave extreme health problems to livestock and humans... I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'm going to give you a quick little like infomercial little list here of a few things. Soft tissue, sarcoma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, chloracne, respiratory cancers, including cancers of lung, larynx, trachea, bronchi- uh, bronchus, prostate cancer, multiple myeloma, peripheral neuropathy, acute and subacute, spina bifida, uh, peripheria, cutanea, tarda, increased rate of primary liver cancer and oropharyngeal cancer, miscarriages, stillbirth, premature birth hydrodidiform, mole, and cramero... I'm sorry, my pronunciation of some of these medical terms is terrible. Anisophilia, microsophilia, hydrosophilia, cerebral palsy, higher rates of infant mortality, contaminated breast milk, loss of appetite, insomnia, weight loss, fatigue, headache, impaired vision and hearing, hepatitis, liver cirrhosis, immunodeficiency, increased rates of infectious disease and malaria, intestinal diseases, gastrocholitis, gastroenteritis, uh, dermatitis, and uh, hypertension and cerebral cerebral circulation disorders <gasps> Ooh, that was a lot, so basically it was bad um, for anything that got in in contact with it, and something else that was used to clear out a large areas of you know foliage and so forth also was uh, napalm. And napalm is a jelly-like substance that was dropped from airplanes and it would just basically burn uncontrollably. you throw water on it and that really wouldn't solve the problem. And it would stick to people's bodies and it would just kind of sear off the flesh. And there's a very famous photo that I can't show you because this is an audio podcast of a little girl running down the street uh, just, you know, crying and burns on her body. And uh, it's, yeah, one of the most... Uh, infamous, I need to say infamous, pictures of the Vietnam War. All right. 1965, uh, just a little, I know, a bit of a backtrack here, but hopefully you get the idea of the time we're talking about. Um, the Viet Cong were expanding their way into the South, and one of the ways they were doing this, with these you know, whole idea of the, the tunnels and so forth, was, um, was with troops and supplies that came into the south on the Ho Chi Minh Trail and this is a supply route that passed through Laos and Cambodia and then dipped its way into South Vietnam and some of it was underground some of it not so underground some of it was underwater which they would basically sink these little bridges in the in the water so that you could like walk across the water, it would kind of look like it, but the bridge was right below, so it was tough to see from a plane, say, flying overhead. So, the United, Star- the United States sorry, keeps building up our troops, remember, this is the draft, and so just to give you an idea of the escalation, in 1965, we had 25,000 troops, by the end of 65, we had 184,000 troops, and... The war doesn't seem to be winnable at this point. We're still at a stalemate. And the people back in the United States that supported this war were called hawks, and the people who opposed it were called doves. I always kind of think of doves being like the sign of peace, so they don't want war. And this this Ho Chi Minh Trail that I mentioned was around 9,940 miles in length. And... So, I just left off telling you about 184,000 troops by the end of 65. Well, by 66, it was 385,000. By 67, it was 485,000. And by 68, it was 536,000. All right. Now, also in 1968 came the Tet Offensive. And Tet is the name for the Vietnamese New Year. So... We didn't really think any kind of fighting was going to be going on. This is a time of celebration, so we were a little bit relaxed. It's not like we're going to make any big, you know, war attacks or anything like that because, well, it's the new year. Like, that doesn't seem very right. It was kind of like the Pearl Harbor attack. It was right around Christmas. No one kind of expected that. So the North Vietnamese made tons of surprise attacks uh, on multiple cities and U.S. bases throughout the South. And it was just absolutely brutal, like, you know, hand-to-hand, street-to-street, building-to-building kind of fighting. And even though we killed many Viet Cong, and, I mean, we all intents and purposes, the the Tet Offensive was a failure from the Viet Cong standpoint, standpoint, the news portrayed it as us just not doing well and losing this battle and that the Vietnam War was not winnable. Well, public criticism in the United States rose uh, dramatically. During this time. And this kind of was the beginning of the end for the Vietnam War, at least for American involvement. Now, we're not done yet, but this is, you know, we're no longer putting new troops in. We're starting to bring troops home. And I'm gonna just hang there for a little bit. We're at about the 20 minute mark. So I'm gonna pick up with a little bit more of leaving Vietnam. So and some of the other things that were going on in the United States during this time, because we just mentioned that there was kind of public outcry as to what was going on. So, anyhow, we're going to stop there for right now, and we'll be back with a part two momentarily.